Just take a moment and get your eyes on Jesus. Off of the circumstances, people, and stuff of this world and onto Jesus. Just begin casting your cares on him, knowing that he cares for you. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to us now, we pray in your holy name. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Can you let out a shout of praise this morning? Yeah, awesome. Glory to God. (laughs) Nice to see you all today. Hey, want to welcome our our newest member today. Uh, God is gracious. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yeah, Giovanni Daniels, nine days old back there. Welcome, Giovanni. Yeah, awesome. Good to see you, Amber. Nice to see you with us. Yeah, we've been praying. Anybody traveling that's with us this morning? Yeah, where are you guys from? Eaton, all right, good deal. Well, we like Eaton. That's a great, great town. Yeah, some good Mexican food to be had down there, right? Yeah, awesome. Anybody else traveling today? Cool. Just family then, huh? Yeah, how's everybody feel? Good deal. Good to see you on this great summer day. We are blessed. We are blessed. All right, well, let's get into the teaching this morning. We are in a series called War Room. As you can see there, and we'll wrap this up next week. Then we'll be moving into uh, a brief study uh, that's going to be based on Second Peter. So I'm looking forward to that too. But so far in our study, we've talked talked about who should pray, and what we've discovered is that anyone who is in a place of realizing just how desperate you are, or someone around you is. Or how desperately the nations of the world need God. Yeah, watch the news. We are desperate. And so that's who should pray. We've talked about when to pray. And we've posed the question, do you pray? And if so, when do you pray? Last week, we we looked at where to pray. Pray anywhere that you can, knowing that it's about your relationship with your Heavenly Father and him being glorified. Yeah. Well, much of that teaching has been based on Luke chapter 11. The disciples had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Last week, we cross-referenced, and we went over to Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And so let's go there right away, starting with verse 5. Jesus said, when you pray. So when, and here's where we were last week, talking about where. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in synagogues, one, two, on street corners, and then this is the whole motivation right here, number three, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, one, go into your room, two, Close the door, and then here's the motivation. Pray to your Father who is unseen, 
then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Hold on just a second. I, I, this week's Daily Bread, if you read it, there was a really awesome one that spoke to me uh, about a songwriter and, and his approach to songwriting. And he says whenever he sets out to write a song, what he needs is a quiet place, a blank sheet of paper and something to write with, and the question, what is it that I need to know today? <laughs> I think that's a great challenge in approaching God. A quiet place, a blank sheet of paper, and the question, what do I need to know today? Well, now we need to move on. So when you pray, verse 7, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask him. So the basis here is why bother to pray? And, and this is where we want to go today. We're going to move from the who, we're going to move from the when, and we're going to move from the where straight to the why. A little boy said to his dad, Dad, I would really like a little brother. His dad said, well, son, you just had better pray about that. And the little boy did. In fact, he prayed for an entire month. Nothing happened. He prayed for two months. Still nothing happened. He prayed for three months, and when nothing happened, he gave up. He just quit praying. Well, about six months later, mom was in the hospital, so dad's taking the little boy to see the mother, and on their way to the room, they stop by the nursery window. Dad points in and, and points to a little boy in there and says, see that little guy in there? That's your answered prayer. That's your little brother. And the little guy was really excited. And I said, hold on a minute. You must be a really great prayer. He said, because see the little kid next to him? That's your brother too. <laughs> in fact, see the little boy next to him? That's your little brother too. We didn't just have one baby. We had three. And then wanting to make a life lesson out of it, he said, now, son, aren't you glad you prayed? little guy looked at his dad said, dad and said, yeah, dad, but I'm really glad I quit after the third month. <laughs> Why bother to pray? Well, we've already seen at least two things here. I mean, that, that, that just would reinforce the question. Number one, God already knows what he's going to do before we ever pray. Why bother? And then number two, prayer is too disappointing. I mean, three months in and nothing happened. So as we get started with this, let me just start by messing all of this up first off. God is all-knowing. We have a word for that, and that word is omniscient, meaning he's all science, meaning he has full knowledge of. God knows what he's going to do today. God knows what he's going to do tomorrow. God knows what he's going to do 1,000 years and more from now. And right here, God knows what you need before you ever ask. But did you know that God wants to involve you in the process of what he's doing? Let me give you some examples of this. Take Abraham, for example. 
you go over to Genesis chapter 18. God is just about to wipe out the nation of, of Sodom because of their wickedness. But thank God, Abraham pleads their case. He comes before God and he says, but God, what if there are 50 people living there? Surely you wouldn't wipe them all out if there were 50 righteous. And God agreed. He said, okay, Abraham, I will spare the entire city for the sake of 50. So now that Abraham has God's ear, he starts to argue the case a little further. He says, well, God, well, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? Surely you wouldn't wipe out the city if there were 10 righteous people living there. And God conceded the point, and he responded, for the sake of 10, I won't wipe the city out. What I want you to notice there is that Abraham pleaded the case. He came to the defense of people who were far from God. This is the war room. This is the battleground, and this is intercession. This is what Abraham is doing. God was with, willing to withhold his judgment based upon Abraham's plea. Abraham potentially intercepting God's plan. Now, you could argue and say, well, God went ahead and wiped them all out anyway. And sure, you might have a case, but let's, go to, let's, go, let's look at uh, example number two. Okay, here in Exodus chapter 32. Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai. He'd been up there a long time. He's coming down. He's carrying a brand new set. In fact, the first set of the Ten Commandments. Sadly, the people had grown impatient, and in the process of his absence, they had built an idol, a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. And so God says to Moses, Moses, step aside. Righteously, God said, I am going to wipe out all of these people. Well, thank God for Moses. He interceded. He entered the war room, the battleground. He stood in the gap, speaking in defense of this rebellious people, and there God relented from his judgment. God withheld judgment because of Moses' plea. Moses was allowed to intercept what God was about to do. Yeah. Third example, right here to where we're living in this day. It's in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. It's talking about the last days, and God is about to destroy the earth. What is it that will finally move God's hand? Listen to it. God is speaking here. He says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And then these tragic words, but I found none. Intercession. See, there's a gap that separates sinful man from a holy God. Praise God for Jesus Christ, our righteousness, who is God's plan for us to come back into relationship with him, 
But God wants to use us as pleaders of the cases of the people to stand in the gap. And when there's no one left on earth to intercede for fallen people, that's when the judgment will come. So am I emphatically declaring here this morning that, that God changes, changes his mind? No, not at all. But it is a very interesting thought. In fact, some of my heroes of the faith have actually written books on the subject. But what we all need to see here is God wants us to actively participate in what he's doing. This is the battleground. This is the war room. It's for the souls of mankind. God calls calls us to get involved through prayer. He calls us not to gripe about the culture, but to cry out on behalf of the culture. He calls us not to be thermometers that merely measure the temperature of the culture, but he calls us to be thermostats that can effectively change the temperature of the culture. That's intercession. That's the battleground. That's what God is calling us to do. So if God already knows what he's going to do, then why bother praying, friends, for the sake of people who are far from him? We desperately need to pray. Thank God for a kid named Pete Davidson in fifth grade who did not know what to do with a kid named Michael Descoli. And somehow he prayed for me and God heard his prayers. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. Rescue me. <laughs> Well, let's move on from this. Why bother to pray? Because it's so disappointing. Too many quit praying simply because they feel that God had let them down at some crucial point in their lives. What we need to understand here is that God isn't some sort of cosmic vending machine. Okay, Uh, I heard a story about a guy who walked up to a machine. He pushed a button that was labeled uh, coffee, double sugar, and cream. And immediately the machine went into action. But the unfortunate thing was no cup dropped. So here he watches as the proper amount of coffee, double sugar, and cream is going down the drain. (laughs) The guy behind him says, now that's innovation. This thing will even drink it for you. We've all been frustrated with, with vending machines, and too many of us look at prayer like it's automatic. You know, you, you push the button, you choose your selection, and out should come what you want. And when it doesn't come, we push it again, maybe this time just a little bit harder. And when it doesn't come again, then we try the coin return, right? And we all know why they put coin returns on vending machines, right? To add to the exasperation, huh? Coin machines never work, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. So what do we do? We throw up our hands in defeat. We we walk away empty-handed. Or maybe we kick the machine first, right? Throw up our hands, walk away in defeat, never to go back to that same vending machine again. And I'm afraid that way too many have given up on prayer. It's something we know we're supposed to do, but we feel like it all just goes right 
down the drain. <laughs> One Sunday after church, a little preschooler ran up to talk to the pastor because she was curious and wanted to know, why is it he always bowed his head in silence before he preached? And the pastor said, well, it's because I always pray and ask God to preach a good sermon. And the little girl thought about it a minute and said, well, why doesn't he? It's okay. You don't have to have sympathy for me this morning, okay? You can laugh. Have you ever stopped praying simply because it seems like God doesn't listen or he just doesn't care? Have you grown weary with God because he's just too slow to respond? And if that's you, you're not alone, but maybe the problem has more to do with where you are than with where God is. <laughs> One of my favorite revelations of all time, and I think the person who highlighted it first is here today, where in Daniel, right, the angel Gabriel appears to him. Daniel had prayed a specific prayer and for a long time didn't get an answer. But when the ga angel Gabriel finally showed up to him, he said to Daniel, from the moment you prayed, God sent me. And then he said, but I was delayed, right? So there he is now as the answered prayer. Just because you're not seeing it in your time doesn't mean that God isn't responding. We don't need to grow weary, but persevere. When God returns, when Christ returns, will he find faith on the earth? I hope so. He teaches us. So we'll always pray and never give up. Well, there's a third reason here why we don't pray, and that is simply the stress. We think, I don't need another thing in my life. I'm too busy. The cares of life keep pushing me along, and frankly, I'm like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. You know, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. <laughs> and we can relate to this. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that maybe, just maybe, that is a warning light on the dashboard of life that's telling you, you desperately need to take time outs to get with your Heavenly Father because you can't. You can't do this on your own. And one of the great quotes that I've held on to over the years is that when it's hardest to pray, pray hardest. Yeah. A fourth reason is who needs it? I mean, we're American. We are rugged individuals. We've got this under control. We don't need help from anybody. Besides, God is way too busy running the universe to care about little old me. <laughs> And if that's you, then I have a hunch that just maybe there are times that you feel as though you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I want to suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, your God is too small. He is not dead, nor does he sleep. He's ready, he's active, he cares, he's involved, he moves even when you don't see it. He has plans to bless and to not curse, and he wants to be actively involved in your life. You need it. You need prayer, and you need God. Why bother to pray? Well, number one, pray to enjoy God. 
In the text we've been looking at, both Luke 11, Matthew 6, Jesus is about to give the kingdom fundamentals of prayer, model prayer, a model prayer. These are priorities in the kingdom of what to pray. And he begins with those two words that we've seen over and over again over the past several weeks with our Father. God is not some sort of residential policeman who's constantly monitoring your right and wrong behaviors. God is not a grand old man who passively sits back as we go through life doing our own thing like his number one priority is just be happy. That's not God's number one priority. God is not uh, some kind of managing director who wants to mess us up without care or concern about our needs or about our well-being. And God isn't some kind of cosmic vending machine. No. He's our Father in heaven. You can approach Him and enjoy Him like He's that daddy you always wish you had. Wise, loving, involved, personal, has time, responds, is with you, never leaves you alone, never abandons you, quick to hear. That's who our Heavenly Father is. Yeah. Secondly, you need to pray to become like Jesus. (laughs) What we've seen again and again is Jesus is praying and the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And if Jesus needed to pray, then we need to pray. And Jesus tells us that we need to have the faith of a small child. Now, think about the imagination of a small child. Nothing is impossible. Anything you believe can become reality, right? Believe, believe. We can't explain it. We can't measure it. We just trust God. It's like a small child who climbs a tall wall. And without thinking of his dad's readiness, he's quick to leap into his dad's arms. He has so much confidence in his dad's love and his dad's capacities that he just jumps thinking it's going to be a great ride. And that's the way Jesus lived, and that's the way Jesus wants us to live. But Jesus also shows us another side of this whole business of faith and, and prayer and how to pray. When the miracle we seek doesn't come what do we do with that? Or, or the prayer we pray just seems to fall flat. What do we do with that? When the miracle doesn't come in our time frame and according to our expectations, Jesus gives us a Gethsemane prayer. A prayer of faith that says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. This is what I'd like you to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Number three, why bother to pray? Well, to receive God's gifts. I, I love Matthew 7, 7 and 8, and I direct you there as often as possible where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The verb tense that's used here is present active imperative. And what it's doing is it's essentially saying ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Well, how long? Well... 
until the issue is settled or until you've gotten the answer that you were in search of. But what I want to challenge you to here just for a a moment is to understand four things when it comes to prayer, and I'm not going to expound on them. That'll have to be another day, but consider these. Number one, grow to understand God's heart and then make that the basis of your prayer. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Can you join her, huh? Don't leave her alone. Don't leave her hanging. Yeah, grow to understand God's heart and then make that your prayer. Secondly, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Yeah. It's about confession and repentance, a lifestyle of realizing you're not perfect, you never will be, and all the pretending won't change a thing. Yeah. Walk fully exposed before holy God. Three, know and claim the promises of God. One of my all-time favorite people, children's pastor, Hollywood Presbyterian Church, during the time when people like Billy Graham and Bill Bright were finding their faith. This is a church that influenced both of those men in a great way. Her name, Henrietta Mears. And she would take her Bible when she prayed, and she would hold it up to a promise in Scripture, and she would point right to it, and she'd say, God, this is what you said, and I'm counting on you to come through on your promises. (laughs) Yeah, know his promises. Hold on to them. And then number four, be very specific in what you ask. 1980, I was at a youth conference in Oklahoma City. Somebody else was there. Valerie was there. We never met there. We didn't know each other there. We'd only meet later and discover we were both at the same conference. But we both heard the same preacher, a guy named uh, Polston. Can't even remember his first name. Don Polston. Talking about a pair of cowboy boots that he prayed specifically for and how God gave them to us. But he wrapped it up by challenging us to begin praying for our future spouse. In fact, he told us to create a future spouse folder and that every time we were prompted of what we wanted or what God wanted us to have in our future mate, to write it down and put it in that folder. (laughs) And we did that, only to discover later, wow, you're the answer to my prayer. See, the more specific you are in prayer, the clearer it will be when God answers it. And when you walk with God, entrusting your life to Him with all your heart, you shouldn't be surprised when God exceeds all of your expectations. (laughs) So, um, from the time I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be a forest ranger. Uh, Fourth grade, teacher gave me a choice, Mrs. Wagner. She said, Michael, uh, you have a choice. Next year, you can either be a patrol or I will let you go and study at the the Arizona Desert Sonora Desert Museum for an entire week. And I said, well, I want to study at the Sonora Desert Museum. And so I got to go. I got to be a part of that. But later on, she said, It just turns out that not only do you get to study at the Desert Museum, but you get to be a patrol too. Got them both. So I don't know if I made the right choice or how that all played out. 
I loved it. So in eighth grade, because of scouts and other things, I was going to be a forest ranger. Freshman year of high school, I was one of 12 of some 1,200 applicants chosen for the Youth Conservation Corps to build, build trails in the Santa Catalina Mountains north of Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. Other summers, I had the opportunity of working with the forest rangers out of Sabino Canyon. I'd make the 12-mile bike ride every day to get to that ranger station and work beside those rangers. So when I graduated high school, it was off to Northern Arizona University where I would study forestry. <laughs> but my heart was changing. People were praying for me, and I'd actually given my life to Jesus Christ, thanks to the influence of a buddy since fifth grade named Pete Davidson, kingdom ambassador, right? And my message to the church has always been, you are the light of the world. And everybody's like, no, not me. Even Pete says, you tell people that I'm responsible. He said, I don't see how that could be possible. Well, God shines a whole lot brighter than you do. <laughs> and aren't you glad he shines through you? Yeah, so my heart is changing, and that first summer, I got a job as a camp counselor for Triangle Y Ranch Camp in Oracle, Arizona. That's the north face of the Santa Catalina Mountains, okay? Sabino Canyon's south face, Oracle's the north face, if you care. And I was so on fire for God that I would bring my guitar and sing songs with kids, and I would tell them about Jesus, and so the camp director pulled me aside one day, and he said, Michael, you're so excited about your faith. He said, I would like to give you an entire chapel. What would you think about that? Okay, every, every uh, you know, week, every time the kids are here, we're going to set aside a chapel time for you to play your guitar and preach to these kids. <laughs> and man, a bunch of kids came to Jesus, and it was an incredible summer, so much so that the director called me in for a meeting, and he said, here's what I'd like to do. Next year, if you'll come back and train all my counselors, I will double your pay. Woo! 40 bucks a week to 80 bucks a week. <laughs> We're in the money. We're in the money. Yeah. But God was moving on my heart. He was moving on my heart. I was called to ministry, and before that next summer would hit, I was preparing to study for the ministry. But had God squashed my dream? No, because there was a time that I was praying when it was confirmed in my spirit as though God were saying to me, Michael, my plan for your life was never that you work with trees in the forest, but that you work with people in the mountains. <laughs> now, there's a family here that kept prompting me about starting a church in Estes Park, Colorado. I, I didn't want to bite. I didn't want to come here, right? I was kind of stubborn. But one day God prompted us and said, this is what we're supposed to do. And we have since felt like we are called to be right here pastoring this church at 7,500 feet among the Ponderosa Pines. Did God rob my dream of being a forester, no. He exceeded my expectations. And that's the way my God works. Yeah. He did immeasurably above and beyond anything I could ever ask, hope, dream, 
or imagine. Why bother to pray? Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Why bother to pray? Number four, going back to where we were at the beginning. For the sake of those who are far from God. For the sake of those who are far from God. It's a battleground. It's a war zone. It's a war room. That little church that Pete was going to in Tucson did not know what to do with this kid named Michael Descoli. I didn't speak the church language. I didn't understand proper church etiquette. I didn't quite fit in. But praise God that Pete Davidson impacted my life, and I am so confident there are people in your life that God wants to use you to impact. But friends, it begins in the war room where you're battling. In fact, some of you are being battled in behalf of right now, and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe this is that moment for him to come alive in your soul and be glorified forever. Would you pray this prayer with me, please? Father, what is it that you're wanting me to hear from the sermon today? And in response to what God is saying to you, will you say yes?